this is Ed Stetzer Live, and I'm Ed Stetzer. This and every Saturday, we have conversations about the culture, the mission, our moment, and more. And here we find ourselves in a, uh, maybe in some ways, unexpected time. Um, certainly, I think probably if you had asked uh, 10 years ago, would we be talking about the overturn of Roe v. Wade? Most of us who worked for and toward that moment would uh, would not have expected it. And so we... Uh, we, we, we're at a moment in our country that is uh, both a time for many of us who have been involved in the pro-life movement to be thankful. Uh, we also recognize that other people who live in our country are, well, they're not thankful. Some are responding very, very differently. Um, and it is the question for us today is, I mean, we could uh, go through some of the, uh, you know, the legal ramifications. We could go through some of the, the, uh, the steps to get, how we got here and more. But I wanted to have a conversation today about where do we go from here. Now it's a bit of a it's a bit of a misnomer to say, well, now we got to get started because people have been um, providing uh, ministry to, uh, to to moms, to unwed moms, to uh, their born and unborn children for really for for decades, and that's that's an important part of uh, this conversation. You know, it's it's interesting. There was uh, yesterday the New York Times, well, not New York Times, Time Magazine uh, tweeted about the what I'm assuming they saw as a bad thing. Well, I know that in the article they did. They said a sprawling network of unregulated faith-based anti-abortion nonprofits now outnumber clinics three to one. And I uh, and I quote what's called quote tweeted. So I, I quoted that and said, "So many doing such great work for decades, and will continue to serve women and their children." Uh, born and unborn. So there's been, we don't want to begin with the idea that suddenly we're starting this at the beginning. Matter of fact, one of, one of my guests today, I'll introduce them both in just a moment, one of my guests, we, we'd actually been together at a pro-life protest 30 years ago in Buffalo, New York. So, and for so many who've been involved in the pro-life movement, that involves alternatives to abortion, that involves the advocacy of foster parenting, of adoption, and more. Yet, simultaneously, we recognize that the conversation uh, has shifted, and it's shifted in different ways in different places. For example, in Texas, it's very different than in Illinois, where I live. In Illinois, where I live, the law has not changed. As a matter of fact, um, the governor has actually called for even more um, uh, radical abortion laws than, than were evidenced under Roe v. Wade. And so it's different where you, depending on where you are here in Illinois, we're still uh, on the journey of persuading uh, women to make uh, to make choices for life. And yet the national conversation has shifted. And in some places, this will uh, remind us, well, I guess you should say in all places, it reminds us that we have to step up additionally. So matter of fact, there's a uh, there's a one of my guests today in the description of her book. It says this, if abortion became illegal today, the church isn't ready to help women practically, spiritually, and emotionally. It's time to change that. We can't look away any longer. This is our moment for us to stand up and help us help her be brave. That was actually uh, published on January 5th, 2021. So, oh my, how that has become a timely part of our conversation. So so let me let me introduce our guest. My first guest is Amy Ford. She's the president of Embrace Grace Incorporated, a nonprofit organization formed for the purpose of providing curriculum and leadership support for churches nationwide to help women with unplanned pregnancies. Embrace Grace is utilized by 
by over 700 churches across the nation and the world. She's also the author of several books, including the one I just quoted from the description called Help Her Be Brave. Also joining me is Karen Swallow-Prior. Karen and I have been friends for a long time. She's a research professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Seminary, author of many books, co-editor of Cultural Engagement, a Crash Course in Contemporary Issues, host of the popular podcast Jane and Jesus, has a monthly column for Religion News Service, and has a uh, has a article uh, that just came out when Roe was overturned in the New York Times. I actually was just texting the uh, one of the editors at the Dallas Morning News, who just this morning tweeted about how she appreciated Karen's words. So Karen has been in, well, in challenging spaces, having these, some of these conversations, like on the pages of the New York Times. So let me say uh, welcome to both of you and just kind of start with a question for for Amy, because Amy, this is uh, this is you have a story that ties into your passion. So, welcome to the program. And if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your story that brought you to where this conversation is today. Hey, Ed. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yes, I the quicker version of my story is that I had a, an amazing Christian family, and I went to church every week, but I did not have a relationship with the Lord. Found out I was pregnant, totally terrified, scared that I would, uh, scared of telling my parents. I was 19 years old um, and the baby daddy felt the same way. And so we actually went to the abortion clinic and paid for it. We grew up knowing abortion was wrong, but fear sometimes makes you do crazy things. And we just thought that was the only way out of this. And so um, I went in to have it done. And as they were explaining how they were going to do it, I ended up actually hyperventilating and passing out in the abortion room. And when I came to, the nurses were fanning me, trying to give me a drink of water. And one nurse said, you are too emotionally distraught to make this decision today. You can come back another day, but today you're not getting an abortion. And so I went back out in the waiting room and I told the father of the baby, we're still pregnant. And we just decided in that moment, okay, you know, we had th- thought of every worst case scenario that could possibly have happen if we chose life for this baby. And we just decided to face that. It wasn't as bad as we thought it was. And um, our parents weren't as mad as we thought they were. They definitely were disappointed in the timing. But we ended up getting married because we had been together and knew we wanted to get married someday, just not necessarily in that timing. But the pat we had asked the man, the pastor that had led my husband to the Lord years before, uh, we asked him if he would marry us. And he said, no, I'm sorry, I will not marry you because I can't bless this marriage because of what you've done. And we were like, oh, my gosh, we're such horrible people. We can't even get married and be blessed. And, you know, and we found someone else that would marry us. But it definitely felt like a scarlet letter on our wedding day. And we had this beautiful wedding and it just felt so much shame. Um, And so we tried to go back to church, but it's like the elephant in the room. And people don't know whether to say congratulations or I'm sorry. So they don't say anything. And then you just feel alone in a crowd of people. Um, We ended up having a little boy named Jess, and he's 23 now. He just um, graduated from ORU. He has a theology degree. He writes for Focus on the Family. He actually works in the pro-life movement. He's married. Like, he's just amazing. And so I just can't imagine my life without him. I'm so, so glad. And one more piece to the story is that when he was 16, that pastor that wouldn't marry us um, he actually had called us along the way about a couple years after the wedding and said, ask for forgiveness. He said he felt like it was his worst mistake in pastoring history that he had ever made. And my husband was like, yes, we forgive you. We love you so much. Well, then when my son was 16, he asked me to come speak at his church about um, pro-love, which is something we're passionate about. 
And um, he was very open with his congregation about what he had done years before. And he's, after I was done, he asked me to come back on the platform and he asked my son, Jess, to come on the platform too. And he said, Amy, years ago, I asked your husband for forgiveness, but I never really asked you, will you forgive me? And I said, yes, of course we forgave you, you know, years ago. We love you so much, you know, all of that. Well, then he looked at my son, 16 in front of the whole church. And he said, will you forgive me for planting seeds of rejection in your heart before you were ever even born? And while you were in your mother's womb, I rejected you. Will you forgive me? And my, my son in front of the whole congregation says, I forgive you. And it was such a powerful moment in that room. You could feel church wounds being lifted. The fact that the pastor would humble himself in that way was just so amazing. And going through all of that has just made me realize the power that the church has. That, and I, the fact that I went to church every single week when I was growing up and why did I not think that the church was a safe place for me to go to, to ask for wisdom, guidance, support, advice, things that I needed to, needed at that time of trying to make that decision. But unfortunately it was the last place I wanted to go to. And so we want to change that. We want the church to be one of the first places a girl runs to in that situation instead of the last because of shame and guilt and equip the church to know how to care for her and guide her in that situation. So good, so good. I love a great introduction. Gives us kind of some of your background too, Karen. I want to go to you as well. You, you and I have something in common, like even being back thirty years ago at the same protest um, in in Buffalo. Uh, you also are concerned as we move forward that the church well has some stepping up to do. What what would some of that look like as we you know a lot of Christians listening, like and 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 probably many are share. Uh, our uh, happiness with the end to Roe v. Wade, which was both bad law, unjust, uh, you know, devalued the unborn and more. And in Illinois, nothing's changed. Um, in other places, it has. What? Where does the church go from here? How can how can we be partners in the next steps of this movement? Well, I, I just first I want to respond to Amy's story because I just yeah, went please. through a whole roller coaster of emotions here. Wow, that yeah. story is so powerful. And actually, Amy's story is the answer to your question. It's a microcosm, really, yeah. of the church and, and how we've probably gotten it wrong in the past and, and tried to do right. And yet we can look and say, you know, we probably didn't do enough or we probably did include rejection in even when we thought we were trying to be pro-life and, and support, you know, a biblical um, ethic and, and worldview. And so this story, I think, sets a pattern for us to say, you know, yes, we are trying to be faithful and faithful in all areas as a church, not just about abortion, but about marriage and, and, um, all, all of the issues. And yet, even as we try to do what's right, we can end up doing wrong. So I think we have to be humble and repentant when we, um, when we're faced with those facts as we are in this story. And I'm, Unfortunately, I'm sure Amy's story is is not unique or uncommon. Um, and, you know, in some ways, you know, I think the church, we, we have to keep doing what we have been doing for the past 50 years um, in the pro-life movement. But there's also something different that has happened. I mean, I think that we had settled into kind of a status quo thinking that, you know, we can't really do much um, about the laws and about and and abortion is here. We just have to persuade women um, as they come through our doors. But now we we really have to be and can be more proactive because, as you've already mentioned, states are going to be 
different and, and we can actually have the opportunity to make them different. But we also have to understand that if, if women don't have as much freedom to choose abortion, then we actually have more opportunity and more obligation to help them. It's not just about persuading them. It's about actually providing assistance to them so that they don't tr- go and travel across state lines or put themselves into into danger trying to get an abortion. Um, the situation really, really, in some ways, it hasn't changed yet today, but it but the door is open now. It's going to radically change, and we need to step up and be ready and be proactive rather than reactive. We're going to continue our conversation with both Amy and Karen in just a moment. We're going to take your calls as well. Uh, and I want to talk some about how do we respond to that moment with that uh, unwed mother at the church, as Amy shared some of her story as well. Uh, your calls at 877-548-3675. Let's talk about where we go from here. How might we be faithful in this moment? 877-548-3675. Politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. Well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayer's book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back, uh, having a conversation in the church's role moving forward in a post-Roe v. Wade world. Important conversation, also important conversation to remember, as we do, that uh, that this is not a conversation about people out there. Uh, many women listening uh, in our churches and more um, have had abortions, have, um, so this is not just, you know, hypothetical idea. Uh, many women have found themselves in unplanned pregnancies, and that's a big part of Amy Ford's story as well. She's the president of Embrace Grace. She shared her story just a few minutes ago as we began the program. But Amy, I want to come back to you because, so the question then becomes, um, uh, a woman shows up with an unplanned pregnancy, perhaps not married, uh, in your situation. Um, it's, I think churches, Christians, pastors are sort of unsure how to respond because, um, you know, let, let's say, do we celebrate? I mean, I remember years ago at our church, uh, we had a young woman who had unplanned pregnancy and people said, well, do we plan a baby shower for, for her or not? And, uh, I'll tell what we did a little later on, but I want to kind of get your thoughts first. Um, how should we respond? Um, and because you've talked some about shame culture, how it affects unmarried mothers and women and, and more, um, how, how should we respond? Well, I believe that every life should be celebrated, no matter how the life got here, whether it was planned or not planned, the baby was planned by God. Um, and so I have seen with the, specifically with the baby shower, um, mentioned that you have like that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And I have seen women surrender their life to Jesus the night of the baby shower, because they're so overwhelmed that these women at this church bought things for their baby in their favorite colors, or, you know, just the love they're so blown away by it. 
but it is it it when we started our first group in 2008 i would definitely say this topic was a lot more common back then than it is now but um it's sometimes we still hear that question and we just always point everyone even to the prodigal son story you know when you think about how his the son had went off and done all of you know spent all his dad's money and and was um and then he he decided he wanted to come back home he thought eating the leftovers of the servants would be better than eating um, the pig's leftovers that he was eating at where he was. And, and he kind of like gave himself a pep talk, you know, of like, this is what I'm going to say when I see my dad. And I love that, that the story says, and while he was a long way off, the father ran to him and he had his servants put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. And I know a lot of these moms, they are a long way off but they have turned to their heavenly father. They are coming to church. They're open hearted and they're listening um, to their rescuer, you know, that we, this rescuer that we're talking about that can help them. And, um, and, and it's just a big catapult in their walk uh, with, with not being able to walk with shame, but to be empowered as a woman, to be the mom that God created them to be, whether they choose to place their baby for adoption or to parent, that is what our role can be. And that love goes so much further um, than a shame or anything like that, that it, it draws people to the heart of the Lord instead, instead of pushing away because they think they can't be good enough. Yeah. And the title of your book, of course, is help her be brave, discover your place in the pro-life movement. And I, I should say, by the way, that, that, that was the conclusion that we came to. We wanted to celebrate, um, oh, life there. <laughs> Um, so I, I didn't want to like, you know, frame the question with my, my thoughts on it, but, uh, so tell, how do we help her be brave, Amy? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, the book you're mentioning has over 300 ideas of how you can get involved in the movement because I know I, for me, I went to church my whole life and then started Embrace Grace, the support group system for women with unplanned pregnancies that are in churches, which is a way that you can, um, help women be brave. But when I, after we started, we didn't think, oh, we're starting a pro-life organization because I didn't know there was a pro-life movement. If someone said, I work in the pro-life movement, I would have assumed that meant angry picketers outside of abortion clinics because that's the only thing the media shows. And it's always like that one person that you're like, oh my gosh, they're kind of taking it too far, you know? Um, and that's all I had context of like what that meant. And I got asked to speak at a pro-life conference and I never heard of it, never heard of the organization. And I was shocked when I got there and seeing all the vendors, which were nonprofits that were boots on the ground, helping these women. I was like, how have I gone my whole life? And no one ever told me that this existed. I went straight to a Planned Parenthood to have the abortion. And no one told me what a pregnancy center was. No one told me anything. And I've gone to church my whole life. So what we believe is that number one, there's tons of organizations that already exist in your community, including pregnancy centers that churches should be supporting, connecting with, knowing what they do and how they serve because they're experts usually at what that is. So when you have someone that is experiencing an unplanned pregnancy that you hear about or find out about, then you know at least what's already going on in your community. And then at, beyond that, you have a congregation with so many strengths 
talents and gifts unique that God gave them that they can use to help a young single mom, whether it, I've seen attorneys come forward and say, I want to help with custody cases pro bono. I have seen women that are really great at um, HR and can help with resume writing, help single moms. I've seen women that want to help with childcare or nurture or mentor or start an embrace grace group. Or there, I mean, there's so many different ideas and even not even just thinking about when they're pregnant, because we don't want to be just pro birth. We want to be pro whole life. So what even helping a young single mom with babies, you know, that's hard. And how can we do that? And think about the gifts and resources that you have inside of you and tap into that. Or maybe it's a story that you're connected to. Maybe you've had an abortion and you want to be that person that you wish you had years ago when you made that decision. Who did you need in your life to prevent you from, from going? Then how can you be that for someone else? And to, to just think through, because sometimes it's tied to our story, our passion, our gift or our calling, and God will show us. We just have to serve somewhere. And then he just starts opening the doors. And it's amazing. I say we have front row seats to miracles in serving in the movement and helping these moms get back on their feet, help them dream again, help them believe that they can have their baby and their dreams too. It's super powerful, even just as helping them because your faith is so strengthened. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, Karen, you tweeted uh, when the Roe decision, uh, Roe was overturned, the Dobbs decision, Roe was overturned. Uh, you tweeted, our work now is just starting. We must help and support moms, dads, and babies, love them all, and in doing so, make abortion uh, unimaginable, of course. Uh, and then if you published your uh, editorial in the New York Times, uh, which is titled, I prayed and protested to end Roe, what comes next? So talk to us some, uh, Amy's already talks about some pathways. And let me also mention too, that as we have some calls in just a few minutes, and I'm sure they're going to be amazing calls, some of those amazing calls, we're going to give some copies of uh, Amy's book to callers with insightful questions or comments. Um, the number is 877-548-3675. Again, the number is 877-548-3675. So, but Karen, back to you. So if our work's just now starting, how do we do these things? What is some of the work we can be doing? Yeah, so um, I did get some pushback on, on that tweet because people kind of took it literally thinking, oh, our work we've only, we, now we begin work, which is not what I was saying. I, I think for sure. so long, for 50 years, we have seen um, the overturning of Roe as a goal um, that it, it's possible to lose sight of the fact that it's just one goal with many, many more um, steps that need to be taken um, now that this one huge goal has been accomplished. And so we have, as I said before, we have work before us that's the same, but also kind of different. And um, w one of the things that I, that, you know, I, I, we all, we know, and I knew, but really just has become more and more evident in the past 24 hours, as we've seen um, the country respond to this decision, is that we are, we are clearly living in a post-Christian culture. And even though I think the latest figures are that 40% of women who get abortions um, are, you know, are churched, are in the church, uh, and that's a lot, that's, that's more than we should have, that also means that 60% of them are not in the church. And so often the solutions that we propose or the vision we have, and they are good, is reaching people in the church and, and holding events in the church and, and reaching them um, when they come through the church doors. But we really have to acknowledge the fact that, that many of the babies' lives who are in danger um, are, you know, are, are being... Um, 
mothered by women who aren't in the church and who are resistant to our values and our beliefs and and we need to reach them as well and 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 we don't speak the same language we don't necessarily have the same values and so our posture our positions and the programs that we offer need to reach them as well. And they need to be really with no conditions attached because that's not how um, Christ operates. Um, we want to, especially if we're living in a post-Christian culture, we have to act like the missionaries that we are in this alien land. And that means um, that we don't convert people by compulsion and we, we want to serve them and reach them even if they don't believe as we do. And so that requires so much humility and listening and learning on our part, even as we don't compromise our values and beliefs. But we just have to serve in a different way, in the same way that we would go and serve, you know, in some other land as missionaries. Good. Well, let's let's go to some calls. And uh, again, let me remind everyone: maybe you've got questions or comments about this moment related to uh, to life, to abortion, to Roe v. Wade, to Dobbs. Uh, again, eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. And uh, let's go ahead and take a call from Mary. Mary, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go ahead. Nope, no sign of Mary. Mary, are you there? No worries. We'll come back to Mary in just a moment. We'll try if we can see if we can connect with her. Uh, Amy, Amy, we've got about about 30 seconds or so, but I, I want you to tell a little bit about some first steps when you begin to get involved in the pro-life movement. You personally, give us about 30 seconds and we'll continue on the other side. Yeah, well, definitely knowing where your local pregnancy centers are, are huge. Um, there, I love Tony Evans, who's an amazing pastor. He says that the pregnancy centers are the first response team and the church is the hospital. And so knowing where they are in your community, finding out how you can get involved, volunteer, serve, donate, that's huge. And, and then also talking with your pastor to see what, how do we respond and, and also helping the pastor realize it's not just about who's in your church, but outside the church, as Karen was saying, like this is an outreach, community outreach reaching out and finding those women and helping them wherever they're at is huge. So there's so many different ways, um, but the church and the pregnancy center is a great place to start. So good. So good. We're going to continue our conversation with two guests. We don't usually have two guests. So we're happy to have Amy Ford, Karen Small Pryor. Our number for your calls is 877-548-3675. Again, that's 877-548-3675. Okay, we're back. Uh, Ed Stetzer Live, and my name's Ed Stetzer. I have the privilege of leading the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, where I serve as a dean and professor at Wheaton College as well. And this Saturday, every Saturday, I have the privilege of having conversations with you and with really insightful guests like we're, we're having conversations with today. I have two guests today. Unusual to have two guests, but it's an important topic. I wanted to hear from multiple perspectives. Amy Ford is the president of Embrace Grace, a nonprofit organization formed for the purpose of helping churches help women with unplanned pregnancy, 700 churches across the nation and the world. And she's author of several books, including Help Her Be Brave. Karen Swallow-Pryor is a research professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Seminary. 
author of many books, co-editor of Cultural Engagement, a crash course in contemporary issues. She's the host of the popular podcast, Jane and Jesus, and you have to listen to understand the full context of that. But in Karen's case, she's also been a pro-life activist for, for decades. And, uh, and we were talking to both of them. Really, our focus has been sort of forward-looking is where to now? What now? How do then we respond to to this cultural moment? So let's talk a little bit about that. Karen, I, when you published not this article in the New York Times, but your earlier essay where um, you you know laid out a robust pro-life position to the uh, readers of the New York Times, which who may or may not be particularly inclined to agree, um, you actually trended globally on Twitter. It was pretty, it was pretty horrible and hateful directed at you. So uh, I guess I can say um, you've experienced the worst of the reaction. How should Christians respond to people who are very angry, upset, and have a very different view than we do right now? Mm, yeah, I have a lot of experience with that. <laughs> um, yes, you do. You know, <laughs> And, and, it, and it really, it's, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm experiencing it again. And I, I think we do, again, have to understand that we have completely different worldviews and that from a different worldview, for, when, for someone for whom bodily autonomy and moral agency are the ultimate purpose of human existence and meaning, and they don't know anything better or greater, then of course this feels like a, a you know a, a, a great loss, a, a loss that could not be greater. And I think that we can understand that even as we believe that 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 is wrong, and and we recognize that we can't have our own autonomy and agency at the expense of the life of someone else, we have to at least recognize um, where that comes from and um, and not lash back and not um, argue in, a, in an, an unconstructive way. I think we just have to simply embody not only that we are against abortion, which we are, but also why we are, which is has to do with with a, a theological view of human dignity, but also has to do with sort of basic scientific biology about human existence and, and the fact that, you know, an unborn child is a separate being with separate DNA and biological makeup. And both of those things have been so clouded in, in the discourse. Um, and, and I think there are people who genuinely don't know or don't recognize that, but there are also people who are caught in kind of, you know, a spiritual darkness and warfare. And so our tools to combat those have to be spiritual. Um, and we have to, the discernment is in figuring out where that comes from and, and when it's wise to speak up, when it's wise to just, to, to just receive the hurt, receive the pain and, 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 and let it um, just be expressed. Um, and so a lot of that takes place on social media, which is not the most constructive place to to weigh these things out. But I think it's just simply remaining steadfast and strong and convicted while also holding a posture that is open and listening and understanding, um, even as we know that that we aren't going to compromise or change our minds on the facts of, and the truth of the matter. OK, let's go to Sydney in Akron, Ohio. Sydney, you're live on the air. Go ahead with your question or your comment. Yeah, actually, I am so thankful for you because um, I struggle with this because yeah. people just yell. I mean, they're passionate on both sides, 
and it's really hard to have a conversation. And so when I pray, what comes to mind is the is scriptural passage uh, with the um, with Jesus saying, "Those without sin throw the first stone." Right. And so even some of my struggles in my faith is what I would name as the Eve syndrome. You know that it's Adam's. You know, it was Eve's fault that Adam ate the apple, you know, and in that scripture that I just referred to, you know, it was really the man was also an adulterer as a woman, but they chose to stone the woman. And so my question is, and so I I applaud you for saying it's really like a cultural, it's bigger than just this issue, right? But I don't know how to have a conversation with people because they just start yelling. And yeah. I like you, and actually, you just kind of answered it because you said use discernment and everything. But we also are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so, when do you battle? You know, how do you discern that? And how do you calm the people down who just start yelling? You know, it just, I don't know how to manage that, quite frankly, and I really appreciate your insight on that. No, it's good. Let's let's go to uh, Karen, and then we'll come back, and uh, cause I want to ask a follow-up to Amy. But, Karen, more on that. So, I mean, she's seeing the yelling. How do you—I mean, I know so social media, you mentioned you got pushback on that tweet. I think you got pushback on that tweet because people didn't know for 30 years. Well, I don't know, maybe they did or didn't, but you've been in the pro-life <laughs> movement. Um, and so saying, you know, saying we got more to do is just factual. But mm-hmm. beyond Twitter, I mean, you've been in conversations with people in person who have very strong and different opinions. What does that look like for you? Yeah, that's I mean, I, I have, been, you know, even before the days of social media, actually out in person, um, experiencing some of those same things, which in some ways is actually easier, I think, because we are, you know, we are human beings and being in the presence of one another um, is, is inherently humanizing. Um, I you know, I just, I do think that sometimes when people are hurt and angry, um, again, we just have to let them express that and, and be there later and not, not, um, and not push them away in that moment or, and not push them away forever. Um, and to just always be there. And and it's not much help, but I constantly, especially in recent days, I'm reminding myself that when our nation went to war, literal war, over the enslavement of fellow human beings, um, it was worse than yelling. I mean, there were people who did not recognize the humanity of the slaves. And so, you know, so (laughs) it's hard for us to wrap our mind around now, but we have to realize that humanity has not really progressed. We haven't changed. We've just changed the issues. And we have to recognize that we've been here before and and this is why this this decision is so momentous because it's not going to change things overnight, but it's that one big step toward history down the road that looks back at abortion and says, "Wow, I can't believe we did that." Like I know that mm. that will happen. Um, it will. I don't know how long it will take. I didn't know how long overturning Roe versus Wade will take. But just look to history and remember how many people have been wrong about other human beings before um and we are all we are all susceptible to those kinds of moral blind spots so we have to include ourselves in that as well and i think that just kind of gives us the sort of the circumspection and the patience and the forbearance that we need toward one another and sometimes even to ourselves because we're going to make these errors too 
Hmm. Um, if you'd hold on the line, Sydney, I should have told you this right a minute ago, so I think you're still on the line. But if you hold on the line, our producer is going to come on and give you a copy of Help Her Be Brave, Discover Your Place in the Pro-Life Movement by Amy Ford. Uh, Amy, I noticed that uh, Jim Daly wrote the forward to the book. Uh, the book, uh, is a good, he's a good friend. The book came out in uh, January 2021. And what was interesting in there is one of the things you said was um, the church isn't ready. And this was... You know, 2021, now here we are in 2022. You say the church isn't ready if abortion were to become illegal today. Well, it has become illegal in some places, not Illinois, uh, but it has become illegal in some places. So what are some things we can do as churches? You've talked about how individuals can get engaged and involved. How can churches get more ready right now? Well, you know, I live in Texas, so the Texas heartbeat bill actually passed on September 1st of last year. Um, where you can't have an abortion passed, a heartbeat is detected, which is usually around six weeks pregnant. Um, so a lot of women don't even know they're pregnant, you know, up until that point. So we're basically, um, you know, that you can't get them in Texas. So since September 1st, I've asked so many Texas pastors, what have you done differently now that women um, either can't have an abortion or they have to travel across state lines and makes it super hard, you know, what they're scared for their future. What have you done differently to help serve these women? And they kind of just have this big, like big eyes, like, wait, what do you mean? And I don't think that it's that pastors don't want to help. I think they just haven't thought of it. Like, oh yeah, you're right. Like, what does this look like? And what does this mean? So we are always trying to equip all the pastors to know how to do that. And um, I think that just knowing, you know, the whole practical, spiritual, and emotional practical is there's a lot of things that they need practically. I've seen churches give single moms cars. I've seen them um, get them set up on scholarships or grant applications. I talked to a pastor the other day who said that they already have a Mother's Day out childcare program for like women that are married and they kind of go to their life groups and things and it's free. And he said, I think we might change the model to be for single moms that need to go to work or school. And I was like, that is genius. How awesome is that? And so it's looking at how you as your church can serve the women in your community and help them be able to feel empowered in their life decision that, um, that they just are like, why would I need to have an abortion when there's so many great resources in my community and a church with people that want to walk alongside me and make sure that I don't have to walk alone. And, and not even again, just for the pregnancy it's for, as a young single mom, it's for dads. Um, we need to empower more young single dads, teach them how to be a dad. A lot of them never had dads themselves. So they just don't know what that looks like. We need more discipleship and mentorship and help and, and just meeting people where they're at in our community. And there's so many different creative ways. And I wish there was a cookie cutter method, a method that it's like A plus B equals a baby saved and a woman empowered. But each woman has needs that are so unique and specific that um, you don't really know until you're in, you know, in the walking alongside them, that's when it all be kind of comes relevant. And then you just reach out to the community and to people within the church and God starts meeting those needs through his people. And it's beautiful. Hmm. We have one more segment in our program today, 877-548-3675 is our number. Again, it is 877-548-3675. Taking your questions or comments around the path forward, how the church can be engaged and involved in a post-row world. Again, last time for the phone number, 877-548-3675. We're going to continue our conversation uh, with Amy Ford and Karen Swall Pryor in just a moment.
Okay, we're back in our last segment here at Ed Stetzer Live, and we're going to try to squeeze in some calls near that last segment. I want to encourage our callers to uh, keep their questions brief, and we'll jump in there for just a moment, and then uh, we'll give some faster answers at the end as we kind of walk through some of these questions. Um, l- let me let me ask one more before we go to our callers, though, to you, Amy. Um, you know, the we talked some about what individual Christians can do. We talked some about uh, what churches can do. Tell us a little bit about Embrace Grace and the difference it made in the lives of some of the women you serve, and what are some of the resources? Give us a little bit of background on Embrace Grace. Yeah, so it's a support group system for women with unexpected pregnancies that are within the church. So the church partners with local pregnancy centers in their community, and the pregnancy centers refer their clients to the church for a 12-week uh, class or group. They meet other girls going through the same thing that they are. They get a baby shower. They get loved on. Um, they don't have to be a Christian to go to the group. It is at a church and it is about God, their identity, their value, and their worth. Um, but we just welcome all people. And these women are, um, they don't feel alone. Even just recently with the formula issue, you know, the shortage that we've had, I've known, I've loved the community aspect of it because um, they're all helping each other, you know, like the, I lead the national initiative, but I also lead my own group. And so it's been cool to see how they're Venmoing each other money and saying, Hey, I found the brand that you need. And they're all helping each other, like doing life together and even holding each other accountable. So we have over 700 support groups in 49 States and 10 countries. There's a big directory on our website at embracegrace.com. Anyone can lead a group. Um, and it's so powerful. And because we have dis- digital teaching um, that you just press play, there's the teaching. And then you have all of the handouts, everything you need to do it. Um, you get to focus on mentoring and loving on the moms. And like I said before, you have front row seats to miracles. It is totally amazing to watch um, what God does in their lives and, and to get to know them and get to know their needs and, and seeing how people and the church can meet those needs. Okay, good. Let's go to some calls. Fabi, you're live on the air. Go ahead with your question and your comment. Fabi, we don't hear you. Are you there? Yes, I'm oh. here. Thank oh. you for answering okay. my question. Um, my question was that I, um, it's more of a statement just, um, to help what could help um, these women better, um, what could what we could do in order to help these women, these women or first-time moms um, or unexpected um, moms. I believe that if we help, um, um, is there any way we could help selected programs like that, um, give funds or extra funds, have the government put extra funds aside for um People that have these issues, unexpected, having a child unexpectedly, they don't know, or maybe there's in poverty, like selected, maybe have them give, like, a put aside a $6,000 or $7,000 a year, um, you know, for, uh, for, for a year. Maybe give these women $1,000 a year to help them with little expenses they have to for their babies on top of the Section 8 or... Okay. Fabi, we only got a so, we only got a couple minutes left, so let me let me ask the our guests okay. that question. If you'll stay in the line too, we want to give you a copy of Amy's book. Uh, again, the book is "Help Her Be Brave." Karen, what what about you? I mean, what 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 should we look at even with government policy as we want to support uh, support women who find themselves in unplanned pregnancies? 
I think this is one of the um, encouraging sort of shifts that we're seeing in the culture. I mean, you know, I'm politically and theologically and socially conservative. And yet I think that that many of us and, and young people are kind of leading the way we see that that it is a legitimate role for government to assist in matters of life and death. And so I think many of us are coming to a place where we would rather have more of our tax dollars go to help support um, babies and moms and dads who need it than some of the other programs that are out there that we could we could do without. And so I think there we, we really as pro-lifers, we need to really examine the places where the government can be a good support. Good deal. Let's go to Betty in Brooksville, Florida. But Betty, we need you to be brief, but go ahead. Uh, thank you. Yes. My question is, I, I have a small church. We're in a small church, about 200 people, and we're trying to do something to be the hands and feet of Christ. And what we want to, what I would like to know, what can we do to help young men, um, teenagers, understand the importance of life? Because one young man can pregnant, impregnate several young women. And mm-hmm. I know that it's the woman going through this stuff, but what can we do as a church, as a community, to help that? Okay, let's get right to Amy and have her answer that question. Betty, hold on the line, too. We're going to give you a copy of Amy's book, Help Her Be Brave. But, Amy, we got about a minute and a half left. What can? Where do the young men fit into this, and what can we do? Okay, well, first of all, we have a program for young dads called Embrace Legacy, and um, it's awesome, just like Embrace Grace. It's a small group curriculum, and the baby dads can come to it, whether they're with the moms or not with the moms, and hopefully it will prevent future unplanned pregnancies in it. So you can check that out at EmbraceGrace.com or EmbraceLegacy.com, but also just outside of a structured program, like even my husband this last week, I gave him, um, one of the moms was crying, saying she doesn't know that she's going to be able to, she's about to be evicted and we're coming to find out they just don't make enough money like they don't um she's they're actually married now and she they don't make enough money um to pay their bills and so i was like man this guy needs like some uh, discipleship. He needs him to dream and to know like what is, what is, are his skill set. So my husband gets involved and he's helping him with really digging into what is, what is he good at? What, what kind of trade school can we help him get connected to things like that? And he was so overwhelmed. He just kept saying, no one has ever offered to do this for me before. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have a dad. I don't even know that he's legal um, in tech. And, and so we're helping him with that too. There's so much that we can do. They just need someone to help walk alongside them because they a lot of these young guys have never had anyone that take them under their wing and say, let me help you not be in survival mode, but to see the bigger picture. And when they know their identity and their value and their worth in God, that's when all the things they shouldn't be doing becomes things they don't want to do anymore because they fall in love with Jesus. And so that's what we want to help them do. Fall in love with Jesus because he is it's about heart transformation, not behavior modification. Love it. Great conversation we've had today. And Amy, good to get to know you a little bit on uh, on the radio program. Of course, Karen and I have been friends for a while. Let me again commend you to get a hold of Amy's book. It's called Help Her Be Brave. Uh, all the resources, Embrace Grace, or Karen's ministry information as well, they're all at edstetzerlive.com. So you can go there and follow. Just click on the links and they're all listed right there as well. Special thanks to our team. Uh, Mara Martinez has actually been manning the phones today. As always, Courtney Young is our engineer. Karen Hendren is our producer, and they do a great job to make all of these things happen. And thank you for your calls. So good, the conversations that we have. 
I remind you to turn in next week. I'm going to talk to Eric Patterson from the Religious Freedom Institute about recent Supreme Court decisions about, well, public schools, religious schools, pro-life issues, and more. And as always, we appreciate you listening. <laughs>